Welcome back, fight fans, to episode number 192A of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Back in Atlanta from Chicago, had a great week. Uh, It was wonderful meeting a lot of you guys out there uh, in Chicago, in the Windy City. A lot of fun. Crazy, unpredictable weather. We got there, it was like 70-something degrees the first day we were there, and it dropped down to near freezing at one point. Crazy, like a 30, 40 degree temperature difference in just a matter of a couple days. Other than that, had an absolute blast hanging out with some of you guys and meeting some of you for the first time. Uh, Some of you guys from different parts of the world too, including a few of you guys from Ukraine. That was awesome. And then from uh, guys from all over the country that came to Chicago. So uh, great time. Awesome seeing you guys. I'm worn out, but uh, back in Atlanta now, probably not going to travel to cover any fights for a little while. Um, Got to get some work done at the house. However, that just means we're going to be doing some live fight parties here from the crib. So we'll be doing live fight parties for some of these big fights coming up over the next couple months of the year. We'll do them right here on the channel. So that's going to be a lot of fun. More to come about that later on. Uh, before I get into news and notes, I want to give a couple of quick shout outs. Uh, Tariq. And Jack, both of those guys joined the Patreon team recently. Thank you very, very much for your support. Also, we sold a bunch of t-shirts while I was in Chicago. Uh, Mailing them out tomorrow. I couldn't mail them out from there because they were here. So I just got back last night and sent those all. I'm sending them all out tomorrow. So we sold a bunch of t-shirts to a bunch of parts of the United States, but also other parts of the world. So thank you so much for everyone that contributes on Patreon, contributes here uh, with Super Chat on these live YouTube videos. And then all of you who rep the MOB t-shirts uh, in different parts of the world. That's just freaking awesome, man. It's just, I'm blown away by the support, guys. It, it's so nice when, when you really put your heart and soul into something and you work your butt off and people come up to you and say, yo, man, good job. I really enjoy your stuff. That happened dozens of times while we were in Chicago. And that was just overwhelming to me to go into a, a different city and have people just kind of come up to you and just want to talk and be like, yo, man, I appreciate your work. Keep doing what you're doing. You, you always tell it straight. I don't always agree, but I agree most of the time, you know, that sort of thing. And then a bunch of you guys help out uh, in different ways financially. And that, that's just awesome, man, because it's all making this thing bigger, badder, better. And this is our first time covering, you know, covered the Usyk card in Chicago. This is our first time working with the Matchroom folks for the first time. Tiffany and I, we covered that event for Ring. And um, we got to meet a lot of the folks at Matchroom. So that was a really, really great time just meeting a lot of those guys. And if you guys uh, haven't yet, go to the Ring Digital YouTube channel and watch some of the interviews that we did. I did a 20-minute-plus long interview with Eddie Hearn. It was great to talk to him a little bit and finally get to meet him in person and some of the other folks at Matchroom. Just awesome. Okay, um, Also, before I get into news and notes, just uh, the regular reminders, guys. Please share this video. Please share this podcast. That's the best thing you could do to help out is just spread the word about this channel, the podcast, and all the work that you see me doing on various different platforms, whether it's for Boxing Monthly, whether it's for Ring, whether it's my work on SB Nation Radio, whatever it is. Man, you see those videos. You see those posts out there. Just, man, retweet it, share it, post it. Get it out there. That, that's the best thing you could do to help me out. All right. So thank you very, very much, guys. Um, let's get into some quick news and notes, man. We got a ton of stuff to talk about. 
Some good, some bad, some sad, unfortunately. But let's talk about some of the fun stuff first. Let's start on a positive note. Oh, by the way, I got to say, yes, I'm wearing a Los Angeles Rams hat. And they got beat yesterday. But uh, my Detroit Lions, my hometown team, playing the Green Bay Packers in, in a little while on Monday Night Football. And I was watching the little preview show, Monday Night Countdown or whatever it is they do on ESPN. Because I heard that they were going to have Terrence Crawford on. And sure enough, he was there. Terrence Crawford was decked out in Green Bay Packers gear. Uh, did a, a pretty good job. He, he, you know, Terrence Crawford, Bud doesn't love the cameras. Not really good at in front of the camera on the mic. But he's getting better. He used to be really, really stiff. He's getting a little bit better. And I think he did a pretty good job tonight. And it was kind of a little promo for his fight uh, coming up on Heisman Day. I think it's December 14th in Madison Square Garden. So another part of that ESPN promotional machine, you know, and Terrence Crawford getting a little better at that stuff. He's not as good as some of the other guys. He's just not as comfortable as them, but he is getting better. So I had to mention that real quick. I just saw that literally just a few minutes ago before we went live here. Okay, uh, Tyson Fury entering the WWE fighting Braun Strowman, whoever the hell that is. I don't watch the WWE. I mean, as a kid, I watched some of that stuff. As an adult, I haven't watched it in years, so I have no idea who that is. But Tyson Fury is going to fight him October 31st in Saudi Arabia which is picking up all these big boxing events, or I'm sorry, sporting events, including boxing, obviously. Uh, AJ and, um, and Ruiz are doing a rematch there. This is a, an event called the WWE Crown Jewel. I don't know what that is, but I know that a bunch of you guys on Twitter were asking me, and some of you were making a big deal out of it, some of you weren't, but you're asking me what I thought about Tyson Fury doing this wrestling thing. I think it's a good idea. Now, look, is there a risk of injury? Yeah, there's a risk of injury doing anything physical. There's more risk of injury of Tyson Fury sparring and training for his next fight. There's always a risk for injury. There's a risk for injury getting in your car and driving to the supermarket to get some Skittles. Okay, somebody could plow into you, some idiot. So there's always a risk of injury. Outside of that, The WWE is completely scripted. We already know Tyson Fury is going to win. No boxer gets into wrestling to lose. Floyd Mayweather didn't lose against the big show, right? And there's a million different, uh, there's a bunch of examples I can bring up. Going back to Joe Lewis before him, this has happened for decades. So I don't think this is a bad thing. I actually think this is a good thing and a smart thing. And you ain't hearing any complaints out of Deontay Wilder's camp or the PBC camp because they know Tyson Fury getting this exposure is just going to help make their rematch, the Fury-Wilder rematch, that much bigger. So I think this is a great brand-building thing for Tyson Fury. Of all the characters in boxing right now, in the heavyweight division especially, who, who more belongs in WWE than Tyson Fury? Nobody He's the craziest character of them all. He fits perfectly with that crowd and who they're marketing to. He will fit right in and crush it. He will do a great job. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to watch it, but it's going to be fun. You know, Jack Alter says Chisora. That's actually, that's actually a pretty good... Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Could you imagine Fury and Chisora fighting in WWE? I would watch that shit. That would be hilarious. So maybe those two. They're the craziest characters right now. You put them two in WWE, man, 
If, if Chisora just doesn't have the profile, it just wouldn't work for him. But that would be hilarious. So, um, yeah. One thing I have to mention, because somebody brought this up about um, nobody really caring that Tyson Fury is doing this wrestling thing in Saudi Arabia, yet Anthony Joshua and, and Eddie Hearn and Matchroom took some heat for putting their rematch against Andy Ruiz in Saudi Arabia. Now, I talked with Eddie Hearn about the Saudi Arabia thing during my interview with him on Ring Digital's YouTube channel. Find it, watch it. And Eddie made a good point. And I know Eddie's a promoter and promoters spin. They all do it, Eddie included. But he did make a good point. He's the first boxing promoter to really go into that market and do something big. Other promoters have gone into different exotic, I'll say, exotic markets, third world markets, however you want to word it, dictatorship type markets where there's deplorable human rights conditions. I, I mean, look, man, top rank did business in China with Zhou Ximing, right? So China has bad people's, uh, people's human rights conditions. So, you know, it ha it's happened. Look, Ali fought in places where there were literally dictators, okay? It's happened forever. But I do think, oh, real quick, <laughs> we got a super chat from Gerald. Thank you very much. He asked, Mike, what's your wrestling name? I, I don't know. You guys tell me. Let, let's get some Montero, Michael Montero, WWE wrestling monikers. Let's hear them. Uh, Gerald, I, I, mean, I don't even know what it would be. I would think of something lame right now. My, I'm, I'm brain dead. I'm brain dead after that week in Chicago. I would love to hear what you guys would say about that. Muff Mangler Montero. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, Muff Mangler Montero. You know, that's, that sounds more like a porn name, Jack. That sounds like a porn name more than a wrestling name. But Romania Mike says Michael the Monster Montero. I like that because then it'd be Triple M. I think that works. That's pretty good. I'm going to go with that for right now unless you guys can get a better one in there. That's pretty good. But yeah, um, okay. Eddie Hearn takes a lot of shit. But I got to say, you know, just being around them, Matchroom Boxing USA, for a whole week, for the first time, really, because I've been, I've been at their cards, but this is my first time exclusively covering one for a platform like Ring and being there all week during fight week. They are really locked in, and they, they, they get it. They've got young guys on that staff, both from the UK and from the USA. A lot of young people on the staff, I'm going to say it again, more so than other promoters that seem to understand social media, that seem to understand technology, streaming platforms, and using those things to promote events and communicate to the media. The fight week communications, it were crazy because the weather conditions changed the site of some of the fight week activities. So there was a lot of last minute chaotic stuff going on. But all in all, man, they're on the ball. They get it. And I think Eddie Hearn takes a lot of shit and a lot of criticism from some people because he's kicking everyone's ass. I think he's really kicking butt. He's doing, of course, big business in the UK. But now he's starting to figure it out here in the USA. A year ago, you know, when they first started Matchroom Boxing USA, that first card in Chicago, there was maybe 3,000 people there, maybe 4,000 people. There was upwards of 10,000 people there at Wintrust Arena Saturday. And I was there, guys. I'm telling you, these weren't comp tickets. Now, there's always some comps, of course. But what I mean by that is these folks were screaming. There was a ton of Ukrainians in the crowd screaming for Oleksandr Usyk 
And it's clear that Matchroom did their homework. They found out there's a Ukrainian village in Chicago. There's over 50,000 Ukrainian Americans there. There's a big Kyrgyzstani population. Dmitry Bivol was born where? In Kyrgyzstan. I didn't know that. Did you know that? Dmitry Bivol knew it because he's the one who told me. But Eddie Hearn and the folks at Matchroom did a little research and they found out about that, right? So they marketed to those groups. And also Jessica McCaskill, female fighter, she's from Chicago. She fought on that card. Uh, she fought there last year and won the world title. So they, they are starting to figure out that, hey, this isn't the UK. You can't just throw two Americans on the card and think, oh, Americans will show up. You've got a market. The, the demographics of Chicago are completely different than Los Angeles, than Dallas, in Boston, and on and on and on. And I think they're starting to figure that out. Anyway, how does that all relate to the Saudi Arabia thing? I'm going in circles here. Because I do think that, look, look, Saudi Arabia has deplorable human rights conditions. It's, it's disgusting. They behead people publicly there. Women are treated like shit there. I'm just going to put it out there because it's the truth. All right. And our United States government, while we'll diss all these other countries, we kind of just toe the line with Saudi Arabia because we do a lot of business with them. Everything's funny when you're making money, right? So, yes, is there some hypocrisy here from, uh, from Matchroom and Eddie Hearn? To a degree, yes. But Eddie told me, you know, this is prize fighting. I'm a promoter. My job is to get the most money I can for my fighter. And we're getting a massive payday over there. On top of that, they're doing all kinds of other sporting events there. And we talked about this wrestling thing just a second ago. So huge sporting events are going over there to Saudi Arabia they're trying to build up a market over there, the, the government there. They're trying to draw in these big sporting events from different uh, parts of the world to bring in income and big money. They're almost trying to make it like, I don't want to say like a Las Vegas, but it's almost like, I think I asked Eddie Hearn about that. Are they trying to make this thing Las Vegas? It goes, yeah, just no alcohol. And I'm like, yeah, or sex or drugs or <laughs> anything. But yeah, that, that's pretty much what they're trying to do. And Eddie Hearn's jumping in before any other promoter is. He's going to get some shit for that. But you, guys, don't be surprised if three, four, five years from now, Top Rank does a show over there or any of these other promoters. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me because there's a ton of money there. And ultimately, that's why they all do it. It's prize fighting. Let's move on. Uh, okay, so Tyrone Spong, who was supposed to fight last Saturday. We're, we're getting some word about all of his drug tests now, right? September 16th, the Illinois State Commission did a, uh, took a urine sample from him. That came back negative. That's September 16th. September 22nd and 26th, Vada collects samples from him. Both test positive for traces of clomiphene banned substance. So boom, he's out with Usyk. Now apparently Vada took a urine sample October 2nd as well. That came back negative. Now here's what I don't know. September 22nd and 26th, were those samples urine samples or were they blood samples? That, I haven't been able to find anything out about those, that specific, uh, those specific samples because that matters. So if all these were urine samples, all four of these, with that timeline, it probably indicates something might have been up with those two samples. And maybe they, they weren't legit. I don't know. Because apparently, from, from what I've read, it can take anywhere from three weeks to three months 
for clomiphene to leave your system. Depends on the individual and a bunch of other things. However, if September 22nd and 26th, those were blood samples, it negates all this because you're going to get things will show up differently in blood than it shows up in urine, than it shows up in hair follicle samples. So uh, we need to find out September 22nd, 26th, were those hair samples? Were those urine samples? Were they blood samples? I don't know. But um, as of now, you know, VADA has a strict no zero tolerance policy. So you, you pop for something, that's it. So more to come when we get some more information on that. That is ongoing. All right, upcoming fights. Andrew Concio, WBA 130-pound champion, fighting Rene Alvarado, Saturday, November 23rd on The Zone in, um, I think, Fantasy Springs Casino. That is a rematch. Those guys fought a couple years back, I believe at 126. Concio won that fight. Alvarado, good, tough guy. Gives everyone a tough night at the office. That's going to be a fun show. Also, uh, Mario Barrios and Batir Akhmadov. Rematch has been ordered by the WBA. Good decision, WBA. Slow clap for you. Because I give you a lot of shit when you do things wrong, <clears throat> silly or wrong, which you do often. But in this case, you did the right thing. We needed to see a rematch ordered for that fight because that decision was shit. So, uh, purse bid has been scheduled for mid-November. They get 30 days to negotiate this rematch. Expect it to go uh, to Texas. Wouldn't surprise me at all if that goes to Texas, Barrios' uh, backyard. Okay, so let's get into the sad news. All right, we, we had some fun. Let's get into some sad shit. Salinas, California native, super featherweight, uh, former super featherweight title, actually he's a featherweight title challenger, sorry. Eloy Perez has apparently committed suicide at the age of 32 years old. Uh, just a troubled guy, okay? Uh, he had a lot of potential when he went pro, and a lot of people thought he was going to win world titles. I think he only ended up being a pro for like six, seven years. His final fight was in 2012 against Adrian Broner for a title, I believe. May, you know what? It was a super feather. I remember it was 130 pounds. It was super featherweight. And uh, Broner knocked him out in four rounds, and he actually tested positive for cocaine. So I, I guess he was using cocaine during camp. I don't know. But there was a, t a test conducted uh, around that fight. I'm not exactly sure if it was just before or just after. Don't quote me. I can't remember. It was years ago. But I do remember he tested positive for cocaine. So using cocaine that close to a fight, obviously there's addiction issues there, depression issues and everything else. And this has continued. Uh, he never fought after that. You know, he lost one time, you know, that knockout loss to Bronner, got in trouble because of the cocaine, never came back. And there have been, you know, just rumors of the guy's troubles with depression and everything else. And the, the news uh, that we heard, you know, kind of confirmed it. Uh, guys, mental illness is a real thing, okay? Um, I have friends and family that struggle with it. Depression's a real thing. If you know somebody that's struggling with this, don't put them down. Don't get in their ass and yell at them. Believe me, I've done that to friends, realizing that's not the way to go about it. The best thing you could do sometimes is just say, hey, man, I'm here if you need to talk. I'm here if you need to help. I'll just shut up and listen. You need to talk about something. You need somebody to just vent to. I'll be here. I'll listen to you. But the, the worst thing you can do is push that person away if they're acting a little crazy um, now, of course, there are limits to this, trust me. But um, 
just be there be willing to speak to them and willing to listen and willing to help just make sure that they know and trust me they will forget because a depressed person doesn't think people want to help them so you kind of have to remind them and that's the kind of annoying part but it might take you know a phone call once a month it might take an email it might take a text just remind them hey man I'm here to help. Whenever you're ready to get some help, whenever you're ready to talk about some of this shit, you ain't ready yet, cool. But whenever you are, I'm here. That's it. And just remind them. Because when they're feeling good, they'll be like, okay, man, cool. But when they get down in the dumps again, they'll say, ah, man, he don't want to talk to me. She don't want to talk to me. They don't want to see me. You know, they, uh, they don't want to deal with my shit. That's when you need to reach out, okay? So that's just my public service announcement. As a guy who uh, has seen a lot of that stuff, been around a lot of that stuff, Okay, more sadness. Patrick Day, Long Island fighter, uh, fighting for his life right now in Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago, about three miles north of Wintrust Arena where he fought and was knocked out by Charles Conwell Saturday night. So um, Tiffany and I got there inside the arena and everything in ringside while all this, that fight was going on. And I saw the whole thing play out. So it was, it was bad. It was, it was really, really bad. The knockout was horrible, uh, destructive, but it wasn't just that he got knocked out. I believe it was a left hook from Conwell. It was a combination, but it was a left hook with his chin up and his head swung around. He was knocked out before he hit the canvas, but the back of his head hit the canvas. And guys, the punch was loud hearing that shit from ringside, but the boom of his head on the canvas, I don't know how that looked on TV, but being, I was in the first row. I was in the first row ringside. Boom. I mean, it was like you felt it in the gut when he hit. And uh, he never regained consciousness. He was kind of moving his arm a little bit and his leg. Uh, so I think there was some neurological things happening while he was out. They, they said he had seizures uh, on the way to the hospital. I thought that the Illinois State Commission, and I tweeted about this, I thought that they acted very, very promptly and professionally. They immediately got in the ring. Uh, not immediately. It took a couple minutes, but they got there very quickly and uh, hooked him up to oxygen, stabilized him, got him on the stretcher, got him out of there. Boom. Right to the nearest hospital, which, which I said was three minutes away. Now, this is Saturday night, downtown Chicago. Three, three miles there is a little longer than other parts of the country. So it probably took 15 minutes or so to get him there, but... You compare this situation to the Maxim Dadashev situation, where he took himself out of the ring, uh, was puking, walked across the arena, standing there hunched over. Then he collapses. Then they get him out. I mean, he, I really think the commission there in Maryland killed Maxim Dadashev. I'm just going to say it. I really, really think their lack of action contributed. I'll just say this, contributed to that young man's death. I thought the Illinois officials acted much better, much more professionally. And uh, just the setup was just much better. Anyway, um, brain surgery. He's in a coma. And that's all we know right now. He's, he's in extremely critical condition, bad shape. So um, I saw one of you. I'm sorry, I need to break this up. Uh, survive. With the Super Chat Pledge, he says, God, I love this channel. Thank you very, very much, Survive. I appreciate that so much. Your words and your contribution, my man. Thank you very, very much. Um, I just wanted to get that in there, guys. Thank you, Survive. But, um, okay. What I wanted to bring up about this 
and I know it's maybe it's too soon. I don't want to be insensitive, okay? Because I, I gotta say, you know, you guys saw the episode of TNC I did with Steve Kim while I was in LA, and he talked about being there and seeing all that happen with Maxim Dadashev, and it affected him. Now he saw a lot more than I did because he went to the hospital and everything else. Because uh, the folks at ESPN wanted him to go and cover that and he's in very good with top rank and everything so he went i wasn't in that situation but uh steve and i talked after the show of course and we talked a lot about a lot of things you know off the record related to that situation it really affected him he's he's never gonna he remembers the times the dates the the, literally the times of a phone call you know whether it's a.m p.m and like literally the exact minute he received certain phone calls. It's just etched in his brain. And I got to say, being there uh, ringside Saturday and seeing this drama play out right in front of me, you know, and keep in mind, this was during the undercard. So the place was maybe, maybe half full. I don't even think it was halfway full yet. Everyone was up in the concessions. So it's kind of quiet and hollow. And it's silent when all this was going on, right? He, between rounds, you usually hear music, there's a DJ, there's a hype man, there's people talking, people are buzzing and drinking and having fun. Just utter silence. It was like a church in there. And you're seeing this play out. And this kid's getting wheeled out on a stretcher. Again, I'm in the first row, on the corner of the first row. The, the little uh, walkway where the fighters are coming out was just to my left. And they take him right by. And I'm looking over at like, this kid. And, you know, his eyes were up in the back of his head. And it, again, his arm was kind of moving and his leg was kind of, he wasn't conscious. So it was just some reaction his body was having that they had to stabilize him to keep him from moving. Um, it was, it was just a sight that it's still etched in my brain. You know what I mean? And, and now, you know, you see what he's going through. And just a few days before they had the press conference uh, Thursday at uh, one of the Marriott's in downtown Chicago. We, we went up there. It was right, right in downtown, like close to Magnificent Mile. And I just, when Patrick Day got on the microphone, he's such a bright kid. The, the atmosphere of the press conference was kind of, yeah, 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 whatever. We're doing this fucking routine, the same old thing, yeah. And then Patrick Day got on the mic, and everything just kind of got pleasant. <laughs> he was just this really, really bright I don't know. There was an aura, like a sunbeam kind of aura about him. He was just a bright, I don't mean bright like smart. I mean bright like his aura. Just very, he walked in the room and everything got brighter. And he, he started talking on the mic and it was a huge smile. Um, just awesome. Just an awesome guy. Just really seemed to be a really smart, um, positive kid. And to see literally 48 man a little more than 48 hours later him being in the, that kind of condition it's like holy shit you just get reminded of boxing and just the, the craziness of it and what these fighters put themselves through i say all this because you look at the fight and it was a one-sided fight conwell was just beating the brakes off of day it wasn't competitive Maybe you could give Day a round. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it was, it was, he was not going to win the fight, okay? So there's questions in my mind. He had been dropped multiple times. He had ate a lot of big shots. And in that 10th round, I'm, you know, I wasn't thinking about it at the time. I was just like, God, man, this, this is crazy. This is one-sided. You know, at any point, 
This could be stopped. The ref is looking for an excuse to stop it. He was taking a close look a few times. And then you see that combo, boom, he's down. And now, you know, after all this, I'm thinking to myself, did he really need to be out there in the 10th round? Did his corner screw him by putting him out there? Um, I talked to a strength and conditioning guy a day bef- the day before at the hotel, at the fight hotel. And they were really confident. They really, really felt confident about this fight. But if you look at the way things were happening and the way it was playing out, just why were you out there in the 10th round for this moral victory? And I thought about it. You know what? If he retired on his stool after the ninth round or the eighth round, there would be people on Twitter. There would be people, number one, in the the stands booing. There would be people on Twitter calling him a quitter, calling him a punk, calling him a bitch. All these things that I see, you guys see it every week. You know, there were people calling Chaz Witherspoon a quitter, by the way, uh, in, the, in the stands uh, and on Twitter. I saw we'll talk about that later, which is insane. So, guys, which, you know, you can't have it both ways. When you see a corner step in and stop a fight or a ref stop a fight uh, or a fighter retire on their stool. Look, are there bad ref stoppages? Of course, of course. But. When a fighter has decided, yo, man, I can't win this fight. Like, how many guys pulled a no mas against Vasily Lomachenko? And people called Nicholas Walters. He was one of them, a quitter. Guillermo Rigondeaux, a quitter. Now, the only reason I beat up on Guillermo Rigondeaux a little bit is because he blamed it on an injury. He said, oh, my, my knuckle, my hand hurts. And we found out he had like a bruised knuckle. It wasn't a broken hand. Just say, dude, he's better than me tonight. Pull a Roberto Duran against... Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, or just say no mas. Like he, I can't win tonight. That's it. You know what I'm saying? Chupacabra says make bigger gloves. Bigger gloves are not the solution. In fact, bigger gloves cause more neurological damage because what happens is you're able to not get knocked out, but you're absorbing more blows. Guys, every time you get hit in the head, especially if you're getting hit with punches you don't see because you're fighting a guy who's at a much higher skill level, your head spins. Your brain shakes, and that's bad for you. On top of that, if you did an extreme weight cut and you're dehydrated or it's late in a fight and you're very dehydrated or tired, um, that can affect your brain as well. A lot of these brain injuries come from severe dehydration. Remember, when you're dehydrated, that includes your brain. And I've seen people, literally seen them have seizures at the gym and found out later that it was to, due to severe dehydration in their brain, is what I was told, literally. So all this affects the fighter. I don't know what the right answer is, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I do. I just want to pose these questions. And again, I want to be sensitive because this young man is currently fighting for his life and his promoter, his manager, Lou DiBella, has asked that we don't talk about this too much. I remember I did a quick post on ringtv.com that that night about the Patrick Day situation, and I kept asking Anthony Lever at Matchroom for updates because he was the guy sending the updates to us. And he kind of just turned to me and said, look, man, Lou DiBella doesn't want us saying anything. He, he Just out of respect for the family. I texted Lou. I'm like, hey, Lou, what's going on? And, you know, no response. So they don't want us to talk about it too much, so I'll leave it here. I just want to pose those questions and those thoughts for you guys to ponder. Next time you see a fighter retire on their stool, next time you see a corner throw in the towel, um, just remember this situation and ones like it. You know, 
Uh, sometimes it's better. Look, man, this is a young kid. He was never going to be a world champion, right? Um, now his life, he may lose his life. But even if he does recover, he's never going to be 100%. This is a kid who didn't make millions of dollars. You know what I'm saying? He was going to have to work after boxing. He was going to have to have a quote-unquote nine-to-five. And, and now that's all over, you know? Uh, it, it, it's just really sad, man. And brave cornermen, sometimes too brave for the fighters. Fans who aren't even in the ring doing a damn thing but watching on TV, sometimes, you know, they need to be more sensitive. Now, I get it. You're paying money to watch something. And if, a, if you feel like a dude took a dive or something, that's one thing. But when you see a completely one-sided fight, this was a 10-round fight. This was in the 10th round. Patrick Day was not going to win. Would any of you really be upset if his corner said, nah, we're not going out for the 10th? I would hope not. And, and this young man's life may be different if, had they done that instead of trying to be so brave for him. Uh, it's easy to be brave for someone when you're not the one getting punched in the face. I'll just leave it at that, okay? Uh, fight reviews. Saturday, October 12th. Uh, Leeds, England, ESPN Plus, Josh Warrington, Third defense of his IBF featherweight title knocks out Frenchman Sofane Touchet. Uh, two knockdowns in the second round before the fight's over. Tentative plans to unify with WBA champ Zhu Khan out of China for next spring. Apparently, they had made offers to other fighters and they rejected them. They want to unify. So if they fight Shu Khan next year, whether it's in the UK or whether they go over to China, sign me up for some of that. You guys know I love a good unification. Let's get to Chicago, all right? Um, I gave you guys my impressions of Matchroom. I really, really think that Eddie Hearn is starting to figure out the USA market. That's going to take time. It's much different promoting here than over in the UK. But I got to tell you, uh, based on the purses for, for these fighters and the cost of everything, uh, for what they made, you know, with the fans that showed up, this was a successful promotion. So they're figuring it out. They had Demetrius Andrade fighting in Providence, right? So they're having fighters, American fighters, fighting in their hometown. And they're having these, quote-unquote, foreign fighters from other parts of the world fight in cities where there are ethnic populations they can market to. They're starting to figure that out, which is good stuff. Um, I talked about Conwell and Patrick Day. No need to go into that again. By the way, Charles Conwell... He did win 11 and 0, 2016 Olympian, uh, junior middleweight prospect to keep an eye on. And also, you know, I should mention this isn't easy for him. Yeah, I got to give him credit for being classy. Uh, he, I could tell you, after that, right after that knockout, he looked really concerned. Uh, he, he, he looked like almost emotional about it. Like, uh, I'm not going to say he was tearing up, but you could tell he was really concerned for Patrick Day. And he's been tweeting about him, say, guys, thoughts and prayers to him and his family. I thought that was really classy. And these sorts of tragedies don't just affect the injured fighter. They affect the, the opponent that did that to them. And we don't know if Charles Conwell is ever going to be the same after this. I mean, this whole thing is crazy. Uh, Jessica McCaskill out of Chicago scores a majority decision win over Argentinian Erica Farias in their rematch. This was an ugly fight. It sucks because I think Jessica McCaskill, who I, you know, I know her trainer, Rick Ramos, pretty well. I've been to their gym, me and Tiff have. 
Um, and, you know, I got to know Jessica a little bit this week. I spoke with her, did posted some interviews, did some write-ups. She has a real opportunity to kind of build something there in Chicago. She's now fought there a couple times. She won her title there last year. She defended it this year. And, um, you know, I, she's got an opportunity. But this, unfortunately, this fight didn't help because it was so sloppy. And that was mostly due to Farias. Um, Jessica McCaskill is never going to be, I think, like one of the pound-for-pound pound top female fighters. She's not at that level. At least she, if she is, she didn't get an opportunity to show it in this fight. I think she will continue to improve. But both fighters were a little sloppy here, particularly Farias. Anyway, McCaskill defends her WBC, WBA, uh, junior welterweight titles or super lightweight, whichever you prefer. A really ugly fight. This should have been a unanimous decision. Uh, Jose Mansour out of Mexico somehow scored it a draw, and uh, that's ridiculous. It wasn't a draw. In the co-main, Dimitri Bivol out of Russia scores a unanimous decision over Dominican Lenin Castillo. Uh, this was for Bivol's WBA light heavyweight title. A lot of people, a lot of people were shitting on Dimitri Bivol for this performance because it went all 12. So here are my thoughts. First of all, Castillo, out of Dominican Republic, 2008 Olympian. He ain't shit. He knows how to fight a little bit, okay? You don't go to the Olympics without being a punk. He knows how to fight. And he was completely defensive-minded against Bevel. Completely defensive-minded. Taller guy, had good range, had enough skill to drop Marcus Brown when they fought last August. Also, he did a very good job of avoiding Bevel's right hand once he started to time it. He started to kind of dip his head, Castillo did, to get out of the way while shooting some shots. And he actually caught Bevel diving in a few times. So Castillo, he's a decent fighter. So for him to go all 12, I wasn't that surprised. I remember after about three, four rounds, I was like, you know, that's probably going the distance. It just had that look. Now, for Bevel. Here are some things I've noticed that he could work on. You know, one thing people forget, I can, how many fights does Dimitri Bevel have? I'm going to look it up real quick as I'm talking to you guys because I think it's 17 fights somewhere around there. But let me double check. Boom. Dimitri Bevel, 17 pro fights. He's basically still a prospect, guys. He went pro in 2014. He's been a pro for five years, 17 fights. I do think he get a, could get a tad more active. But in 17 fights... He's fought Isaac Chalemba, who no one looks good against. Sullivan Barrera, who's not, a, who's not a punk. He can fight. Joe Smith, he's not a punk. He could fight. Jean Pascal, look what he just did earlier this year. He's not a punk. And I think Lennon Castillo proved he's a quality guy, probably a top 10 fighter in the division. So I think people give Bevo a little too much shit for not being exciting. By the way, oh, Andre Apatry. With the Super Chat pledge. Thank you, Andre. He says, it was great meeting you with Tiffany at the fight. Keep up the good work. Andre, it was absolutely a pleasure meeting you uh, and talking for a little bit. Guys, Andre is uh, Ukrainian-born, but now lives in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Drove down with a group of friends to see uh, Oleksandr Usyk. And um, he's really gotten into boxing, like hardcore. He used to only watch the Ukrainian fighters, you know. But now he's really been watching and getting into boxing and he was just talking about kind of like his, his growth in the sport and, you know, starting to follow everything religiously. So he's definitely 
uh, gotten addicted to the, the same addiction I think we all have here on this show, on this chat. I think we all share the same addiction with boxing. Once it gets in your veins, man, it's got you. So Andre is hooked, hooked now. And um, Andre, it was great meeting you and talking to you. I'm so glad you got to meet Tiff. And um, let's keep in touch, my friend. We'll, we'll see each other at the next fight. Okay, back to Bevel. Some things he could improve on. He moves his feet very well. His, he's very light on his feet. He gets in and out very well. However, it's in straight lines. It's in straight lines. And it gets methodical. Now, he can switch levels well. I, he does a feint where he feints up and then gets down and feints low. He kind of stands up tall and feints, then crouches and feints. So you don't know if he's coming into the body or up top. And he was able to land both left jabs and straight rights to Castillo's body as well as landing shots up top. So he does, some, he does change levels well. He gets in and out very well. However, I, one of you guys was saying, who just said a little too... Yeah, Romanian Mike said a little too much fainting. Yeah, not throwing enough. He says, yeah, I, I agree with you, Romanian Mike. I, I think that Castillo was doing subtle little things in there that were throwing Bivol off and making him think. And then, you know, Castillo landed some shots. He definitely landed. I actually saw Bevel uh, yesterday morning at the hotel. Uh, he was checking out while we were checking out. And uh, I walked over to him and told him, you know, good fight. And, and I told him, you know, ignore, because there were people booing after the fight and everything. I told him, ignore that shit. You fought a good opponent and you did, you did a good job. You know, they're not in there fighting this guy. You still have your title. And there's bigger fights down the road. And he seemed a little bummed. I got to say, I think he saw some of the criticism on Twitter. And the fans did boo after this fight. They were booing Dimitri Bevel during the post-fight interview. Now, to be clear, I should add this wrinkle. Mostly Ukrainian fans, and he's Russian. And there is a little political beef right now. The whole Crimea situation with you know Putin and all that. Uh, there is a little beef right now between Ukrainians and Russians. A lot of matchmakers don't like putting Ukrainians and Russians together. And remember, uh, Golovkin, whose father's Russian, just fought Derevyanchenko in New York, and there was some stuff happening in the crowd there too. So that may have been part of the booing. But I do think they were booing the lack of action, action because they wanted Bevel to go for broke. He's never going to be that guy. But let me back up real quick to get back to what I was saying about the straight lines, okay? One thing I'd like to see Bevel do better is pivot more and come in from the side, get on his opponent's left shoulder and work, get on his opponent's right shoulder and work. If you're coming in the middle when you work, instead of backing straight up, which is very good at, <clears throat> but that can be timed, pivot out to your left, double jab on your way out. I mean, that's basic boxing, right? But a little bit of that side-to-side -side action, I think will help Bevel. That's what he needs work on. And I don't know if he needs to bring in a new trainer to work on that or what it is. He does. He works in straight lines, and that can be timed. So that's going to hurt him against some of the elite fighters he ends up facing. Uh, I don't know how it's going to play out for him because if somebody can time him coming in straight, they can land shots. Even if he gets out of there really quickly, they can land shots, especially if they loop their shots. So I'd like to see him work on angles and side-to-side -side type of spacing and pivoting. I think that's a, a wrinkle that he needs to add to his game, and that could really take him to the next level because he basically comes in the same way every time, and he's done pretty damn well 
for, for doing that. It, it gets a little predictable. It's a little Sergei Kovalev-esque in, in a way. Not exactly, but there's a little Sergei Kovalev in him. And that can kind of be timed. You saw that what Ward was able to do in that rematch with Kovalev and other fighters in spots. And I think guys are going to start pulling that same stuff with Bevel. He's young and dynamic right now, but those that speed and everything is going to kind of fade, you know? So anyway, um, yeah. What was I talking about? Um, Bevel, Russia, Ukraine, a little bit of a beef, fans booing, a little bit bummed out. Uh, I thought that the criticism is a little unfair, but I tweeted about this. There's a little bit of Vladimir Klitschko and Dmitry Bevel, Bernard Hopkins, you know, fighters like that, and this, Floyd Mayweather, in a sense that he is not going to take an unnecessary risk. <clears throat> he's going to take what you give him, and he's going to stack up points and win rounds. And in the post-fight interview, he even said, he goes, look, I have, you know, I might have a possible fight down the line. I'm paraphrasing. He said this in his own way. But he said, I'm, I might have a fight with the Canelo Kovalev winner in the future or the Vojtek Baturbiev winner in the future or Callum Smith or one of those guys. And I will have the opportunity because I won tonight. You know what I'm saying? I think that's his mentality. Carlos Cabrera with the Super Chat Pledge. What's up, my man? By the way, shirts are in the mail, my friend. Thank you very, very much. Uh, he says, Bevel uses his jab well up and down and fluid. I agree. When he throws in combination, Carlos, especially when he sets it up with those stabs to the body and then loops up top, he, he had Castillo on the back foot all night. I, I don't know what more you want from Bevel. If, if you're fighting a guy who's defensive-minded, and he won all 12 rounds. I think the scorecards, he also dropped Castillo once. I forgot to mention that. And I don't, has Castillo been dropped before? I know he's never been stopped, but I don't even know if he's been dropped before. So he dropped a former Olympian, um, dominated, won 12 rounds, and you know he took a little bit of punishment. He had some marks on his eyes when I saw him at the hotel yesterday. He was a little marked up, not bad. Um, but I don't know what, what, what more you want from the guy other than going in there and blowing a dude out, but he's a methodical kind of guy. He plays chess in there. That's what he's doing. It's kind of like, in some ways, like what Vlad, Vladimir Klitschko did in the later stages of his career. Not exactly, not exactly, but similar. Chase Athletic says, never been dropped. Yeah, I agree, man. Yeah, and Sean O'Brien said the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. He had never been dropped. So he drops this dude, wins all 12 rounds, defends his titles, gets work in, and now he's set up for something bigger in the future. I mean, the criticism's unreal sometimes. Is it, was it crazy exciting? No. So if it's not your cup of tea, I understand that. I will say this. A fighter with a mentality like Bevel, which I compared to Klitschko, Mayweather, Hopkins, those guys become exciting when they're in the ring with an opponent that can push them and forces them to change, forces them to fight. Look at what Vladimir Klitschko was so exciting with Anthony Joshua. Why? Because Joshua forced him to fight. And when Vlad had to fight, when it was balls to the wall, you saw how he reacted. He, he started beating the shit out of AJ and dropped him. And for several rounds, the old man was putting a whooping on the young man until finally youth had its way. And we could say the same thing. Bernard Hopkins was some, in some pretty exciting fights later in his career after really kind of being boring, being accused of being a boring fighter for so long. 
So when Beevil gets in there with a top guy who forces him to dig down and, and show us something, I'm thinking he's going to be pretty exciting at that time. I'm thinking there's more to Beevil than we even know yet. He just hasn't been pushed, and he's not going to risk it. He's going to keep it safe, keep it smart. What they say? Keep it simple, stupid. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. Speaking of keeping it simple, stupid, Alexander Usyk, 215 pounds, scores a seventh round retirement win over Chaz Witherspoon, 242 pounds in his first heavyweight fight, and he kept it simple. The criticism I saw of fans on Twitter, by the way, no one booed after this one. The, The fans in the house, the Ukrainians, had a great time. They were cheering long after the fight. After Usyk had left the arena, they were still kind of in party mode. It was a fun atmosphere. But on Twitter, on YouTube, you saw so many people bashing the shit out of Alexander Usyk because he didn't go in there and destroy Chaz Witherspoon in one or two rounds. Now, Witherspoon, I'm going to look him up on uh, I look him up on BoxRec because... I'm trying to think. I know Seth Mitchell knocked him out, and I think Chris Ariola knocked him out. But I'm trying to think. I can't remember which round. So I'm going to look it up real quick here. Uh, Chaz Witherspoon. Looking him up. And let's see. So Seth Mitchell knocked him out in the third round. Dropped him twice. Tony Thompson knocked him out in the ninth round. It was a, three, a third round disqualification win for Chris Ariola when they fought way back in 2008 but he was down twice in round three. So he has been dropped early in fights, okay? And against Seth Mitchell, he was knocked out in the third round cold. I remember that one. But you can't expect a guy moving up from cruiserweight. Also, almost a one-year layoff, I think 11-month layoff for Usyk. Also, torn biceps, rehab. You can't expect him to just go in there in the first round and go for broke and try to destroy this dude. That's not what happened. Usyk got in there and every single round did a little bit more. A little bit more every single round. By the way, we have a uh, super chat pledge from Chupacabra who says, I want to spar you. Okay, come to Atlanta. Thank you for the super chat. (laughs) I appreciate it. But yeah, hey, you come to Atlanta, you want to train, we can do it, bro. Sounds like fun. I might need to drop a few pounds after being in Chicago for a week, but yeah. Okay, so back to this fight. Thank you for the super chat pledge. I appreciate it, man. But um, every round you saw him adding more and more. The first round was just jabs, right? Then the second round he started throwing in some body work, some some, uh, straight lefts up top because he's a southpaw. Then the third round we saw some hooks. He started adding to it every single round, adding to it, adding to it. And by the fifth round, I want to say like the fifth, sixth, and seventh round were almost 10-8 rounds. I mean, you can make definitely make an argument the seventh round was a 10-8 round. I don't like scoring 10-8 rounds without knockdowns, but there are cases where it is warranted. That seventh round probably was one. And guess what? Chaz Witherspoon's corner, Tommy Brooks in that corner, he's been around, he's seen a thing or two. They stopped the fight. Chaz Witherspoon didn't want to stop. He never gave up. He never went down in this fight. He kept throwing. There's a few times in that seventh round where I saw the ref really taking a look at Witherspoon. And as soon as he was about to jump in, Chaz saw it in the corner of his eye and threw a couple shots. That's a veteran saying, I want to stay in the fight. I saw you're about to jump in. I'm throwing a couple shots. Don't stop this shit. It was up to his corner to stop it and save him from himself. And that's just what they did. So props to Chaz Witherspoon's corner. And by the way, props to Chaz Witherspoon. 
I don't know why the hell he was taking criticism. He took this fight on four or five days' notice, I think it was. They made offers. Matchroom, Eddie Hearn, made offers to Joey DeWechko and, and several other fighters. And they were all turned down. The only guy who stepped up and said, yeah, I'll fight the boogeyman, I'll fight this guy, was Chaz Witherspoon. Now, he got a good payday and everything else, but he he stepped up, man. Like, he deserved some credit. And he took... A lot of punishment. I mean, I, I wrote an article on ringtv.com about it because I was doing deadline that night. I talked about the punch numbers. They were completely one-sided. A lot of fighters would have looked for a way out before Chaz Witherspoon did. He hung around. He deserves credit. I also think Alexander Usyk deserves credit. It's not his fault that he was fighting an opponent at this level. Man, they reached out to Alexander Povetkin early this year. They were supposed to fight Carlos Takam, who's been in there with everybody. He's probably a top 15 heavyweight right now. Gives anybody a tough night of work. They reached out to several other top fighters. I shouldn't say top. Guys in the top 10. How about that? Several. And were turned down. Okay? So this is the level of opponent that they ended up with. And he went in there. I think a lot of people look at, Ratings and they go in box rack and all oh, this guy's been knocked out. Oh, look at this guy's age. Look at his opponents. And they, th- they just do this, what do they call it, combat math. Combat math never works. There was a few people who came up to me during fight week, especially at the weigh-in. Hey, Mike, I want to place a bet. You know, what is this, first round knockout, second, third round knockout? I'm like, dude, this is going at least six rounds. It's, it's, it's not going the distance, but it's going rounds. It's going at least halfway. I said that... If any of you were there and I told you that, please say it in the chat now to prove I'm not full of shit. I told several people, uh, several of you guys that I was hanging out with, I said this fight was going to go rounds. I wasn't surprised this shit went seven rounds. But yet, there was a lot of people on Twitter saying, oh man, Usyk can't get it done. He should have blown this guy away. He's going to get destroyed by these other top heavyweights. Stop with the hyperbole. Stop with the hyperbole. Okay, some of you guys just you don't understand styles and how to properly analyze and break down a fight. And you go watch these other YouTube channels where they just talk shit. They really don't know what they're talking about. They don't. Do I get every prediction right? Hell no. (laughs) But do I get most of them right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The last few weeks, uh, Spence Porter, Golovkin, Derevyanchenko. This one. Come on, guys. I pretty much told you it was going to fucking happen, and it happened. Uh, there's been some difference, but based on fighter mentality, styles, and given everything that's happened, this was going to go rounds. It doesn't mean that Alexander Usyk doesn't have a chance at heavyweight. Now, I say all that, I need to follow with this. We didn't get many questions answered about Usyk at heavyweight. We don't know if he could take real heavyweight power from an elite heavyweight in their prime. We didn't get that question answered. We don't know... If he can seriously, I, we already pretty much know he's not going to be a one-hitter quitter at heavyweight because he wasn't at cruiserweight. He's not going to be a knockout puncher. But can he at least hurt a guy like Wilder, like Joshua, like Fury, whoever it is, to get, to get respect? If he can do that, if he can get respect and he can take a punch, he's got a real chance to do something at heavyweight. If he doesn't have enough power to keep guys off of him, keep them respectable, keep them you know, at least thinking about defense every now and then, if he can't take a heavyweight punch, it's not going to go well. 
Every single cruiserweight that's moved up, with one exception, Evander Holyfield, who, let's be honest, guys, there was no Vada around. I'm just going to leave that out there, okay? <laughs> you can look at him throughout his career and see some changes. <laughs> some very Bond shit was going on. But the only, the only exception was Evander Holyfield, okay? He's the only guy that moved up to heavyweight, and he did that in a much different era where you didn't have these super heavyweights. Now, it was a more talented, more rich, deeper you know, talent pool at the time. That's true. But the guys weren't that big. Usyk is moving up and he's going to be against the top guys, fighting guys that are 6'6", 6'7", 250 pounds, ripped, brick shithouse, punching down at him with crazy leverage. Say what you will about Deontay Wilder. That right hand is the most powerful punch in boxing right now. It is. So, uh, you know, we don't know how he's going to look. But if he even can be competitive, that's saying something. Because, again, the only exception, the only guy who's ever succeeded as a heavyweight after moving up from cruiserweight, Evander Holyfield. And don't give me that David Hayes shit and all those guys. That's all bullshit. Seriously, the only guy who really, really did something was Holyfield. So with Usyk, it just remains to be seen. He's not going to win heavyweight fights with power punching. So for all these idiots talking on Twitter about, wow, you couldn't knock out Chaz Witherspoon, they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Did they watch any of Usyk's fights at cruiserweight? Or did they just watch the Tony Bellew fight? And they think every fight's going to look like that. Probably, because that's what most of these guys are. They have way more subscribers than me because they talk bullshit like that and it gets clicks from other idiots who want to hear idiotic talk, but they don't know what they're talking about. If you actually seen Usyk fight at cruiserweight and you know the way he fights, yeah, you know, he's going to win fights at heavyweight with footwork, speed, punch volume, and pace. He's going to push a pace. That's how he's going to win fights at heavyweight. Um, yeah, so took his time, got in rounds, huge business ahead. People criticizing this are morons. It's pretty predictable that next year, after Ruiz and Joshua fight, and I think that Joshua is going to win that rematch. I've been saying that for a while. I still, Unless I hear something or see something otherwise, I'm still going with Joshua's decision. I think those titles are going to get broken up. Usyk is already the WBO mandatory. Eddie Hearn talked about this in my interview with him. Again, go watch it. And... Um, he said, the titles are going to get broken up. And if you're Eddie Hearn, you like that. <laughs> you like that because, look, let's enter promoter mind right now, okay? Let me just give you guys a little lowdown of how this is going to work. Say Anthony Joshua beats Andy Ruiz, which I think he will. Now, Eddie Hearn represents Anthony Joshua. He has the unified, what, WBA, IBF, WBO title. You have two mandatories. You have Kubrat Pulev in the IBF. And you have Alexander Usyk, the WBO. Now, a lot of people, a lot of fans are going to say, go fight Usyk. I want to see that. But if you're Eddie Hearn, you're thinking, you know what? Here's how I'm going to do this. We're going to fight Pulev and dump the WBO. Alexander Usyk's going to fight for the vacant WBO and win. And then Eddie Hearn's going to represent all three of those titles, two different fighters. And he can build up a unification between, guess who? Anthony Joshua, Alexander Usyk. 
That's how it's going to play out, ladies and gentlemen. Meanwhile, Deontay Wilder and the PBC are going to continue to do their thing. They're going to rematch Tyson Fury and win. And then they're going to continue to make demands with AJ or Usyk, whoever wins that eventual fight. But then if you're Eddie Hearn, your team Usyk, your team Joshua, you don't need Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury if, if he beats Wilder. You don't need them. You've got your own unification fight to build up. And that's exactly what they're going to do, folks. That's how it is going to play out. It is boxing business one zero one. <clears throat> All right, guys, let's get to a few questions. And then I'm going to jump off here. Uh, we've been going for about an hour. So, yes, I'm going to go watch my Detroit Lions blow it against the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> uh, Brad Williams, what happened to Doheny's fight Saturday night? You know, good question. For whatever reason, that was on the untelevised portion of the card. Uh, there was a few fighters that, you know, I got to give it to them. There was a lot of showcase fights on this card, but there was a lot of talent. But TJ Doheny won his fight. I believe it was a TKO. I can't remember which round. He won his fight. It just wasn't on a zone broadcast. It started at 6 o'clock, I believe. And the first fight was at 445. So there was a couple fights before zone broadcast started. And then there was two fights after the broadcast ended. One of them included an undefeated prospect out of Chicago, Giovanni Mioletti, originally from Washington, but now fights out of Chicago. And I thought they would have wanted to include him and Doheny on the card, but I just, I think they didn't have time. So yeah, that's why. Romanian Mike says, uh, Michael Montero, you speak the truth. Thank you very, very much, my man. I appreciate that. Hamed says, heavyweight division is a mess. It's going to get messier, Hamed. It's actually going to get messier, guys. All those titles are going to get broken up. And this whole unification thing that we thought maybe we were going to get, this consolidation with Wilder and Joshua at some point, maybe early next year, Andy Ruiz blew that shit up. And um, it's good. Alexander Usyk's about to blow it up even more. We're not getting a complete consolidation at heavyweight for a long time if ever in this era. It just got blown the hell up. And I'm telling you right now, two, three years from now, people are going to appreciate Vladimir Klitschko much more than they do now. Yes, he never claimed the WBC, but I've told you guys the reasons why. It's not because he wasn't good enough. Kevin from Chicago with the Super Chat Pledge. Thank you very, very much, Kevin. I appreciate it. He says, Eastern Euros has everyone shook. It's very obvious. Well, you know, in, in some divisions, but we could say that about... Fighters of all walks of life from all parts of the world in other divisions. But the Eastern European fighters are coming in and starting to have more and more of an impact on the sport. And, you know, there was a time where they, they weren't necessarily as respected. I think they're very respected now. You see these guys winning awards. Alexander Usyk was the fighter of the year last year. You know what I'm saying? So, so uh, the... the the scale is tipped a little bit, you know, and that's, that's what happens in boxing. It's happened throughout boxing history. And wh- who's going to be the next wave, you know? I've been telling you guys, the Uzbekistanis, they're going to be the next, the next guys over the next three, four, five years. And then I'm telling you, at some point, I've been saying this and people think I'm crazy, in the next 20 years, there will be a Chinese heavyweight world title holder. I'm saying it now. You think I'm crazy, it's coming. I'm telling you. Tim Nix says Vitaly was still better than Vladimir. <laughs> we'll be arguing about this for years to come. Uh, Marshall Ministry asks, 
post thoughts on Josh Warrington and Terry Flanagan fights. I have both fights in HD, by the way. Uh, by the way, I keep liking and YouTube unlikes it. What's going on? Jesus, YouTube. Man, there's so many issues with YouTube. I don't even know what to say. If Please come back later after the live stream is done and like it, and maybe then it will work. So, okay, I didn't see the Flanagan fight. I, didn't, I haven't seen it yet, so I can't comment on that. But it got, uh, Josh Warrington, he did what he was supposed to do. You know what I'm saying? Um, he blew that guy, that French guy out of the water. And in terms of styles and, and the level of opponent, that's what you expected. Uh, I'd love to see him fight Shu Khan or any of the top featherweights. I would have loved to have seen him fight Oscar Valdez. That would have been great. But Oscar Valdez, apparently Frank Warren made an offer to Valdez. But Valdez decided to dump the title and move up to 130. So um, anyway, I got to check out the Flanagan fight. Uh, Zazlevd97 says, uh, Usyk beats guys like White, Miller, Babyface, but he loses to Ruiz and Wilder. We shall see, you know. Um, right now, it's way too soon to say anything. And by the way, the Ring Ratings Committee, you know, we talked about this because, again, I covered this card for the ring. And, and my two cents was you cannot rate Oleksandr Usyk in the top 10 at heavyweight yet. You can't. Talent-wise and everything, absolutely. But in terms of who he's beat, beating Chaz Witherspoon does not get you in the top 10. He's got to fight a top 10 guy. So this really didn't answer any questions. This was getting rounds in and, and, and you know, rehabbing from an injury and a layoff and all that. Let's see him fight a top 10 guy early next year and then maybe fight for... Here's the thing, guys. Politics of boxing, he might fight early next year for a vacant WBO title against another top 10 guy. That's just the way it might work out. Falco says, Yao Ming's son will be the heavyweight champ. <laughs> that would be crazy. Could you imagine a seven foot five dude in boxing? Carlos Cabrera with the Super Chat Pledge. Thank you very, very much, my man. He says, you speak about the fights and fighters. Many get into defending business politics and they should, shouldn't. Feeds promoters pulling off, putting off fights. I, look, I hear you. I'm just telling you, do, do I want these guys to all have a tournament? Would I love to see a World Boxing Super Series tournament in a heavyweight division with all the top guys? Yes, of course. But I'm just telling you guys the way it's going to happen. And as long, here's my thing, as long as we get everything consolidated within a couple years, I'm good. But right now, if you're Eddie Hearn and you're looking at 2020, here's what I'd love, okay? I'd love to see if Anthony Joshua beats Andy Ruiz, maybe early in the year, he fights Kubrat Pulev. That's a mandatory. He's got to fight him. Maybe Oleksandr Usyk fights whoever else is in the top 10 for the WBO because he's number one. Whoever's number two, and they fight for the vacant WBO. And then late next year, Joshua and Usyk fight to unify those titles. Meanwhile, you know, Deontay Wilder, him and uh, Fury fight, and he beats Fury. And then later in the year, he fights somebody else in the top 10. Maybe he finally fights Dillian White later in the year. And then in 2021, the winners of those fights all fight each other. I'd love to see it play out that way. Will it? I don't know. I don't know. But I'd love to see that. 
All right, guys. Uh, Jack Alter is asking, Prime Bevel versus Prime Golovkin at 168. You know, Jack, um, we just haven't seen enough out of Bevel to really know. Is this his prime? I don't, I don't know. He, maybe he hasn't hit his prime yet. And then we haven't seen Golovkin at 168. So I think right now, you know, you, just based on weight, um, ooh, man, that's a tough call, man. I, I mean, I'd have to go with Dimitri Bevel just because he's, he's just bigger. And, and we, I'm assuming his prime is yet to come. So you're kind of asking me to look into the future a little bit on that question. You know what I'm saying? All right, guys. Uh, that's it for tonight. I'm going to go watch my Detroit Lions get their ass beat by the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Jack, I know that answer didn't – you didn't like that answer. But I'm just saying, based – again, I'm kind of – I can't really analyze that. I just – you know, because Bevel, we haven't seen his prime yet, and he's a light heavyweight. And we have never seen Golovkin fight north of 160. The fight against Steve Rolls doesn't count. So – you know, if you're putting a gun to my head right now, I'd pick Bevel just because he's much bigger. So, by the way, prime Kovalev versus prime Canelo. I'm picking Kovalev. It's the same thing, you know. All right, guys, that's it for tonight. Uh, yeah, share this video. Share the episode. And I uh, appreciate all the support. You guys have been freaking awesome. I'll see you at the fights.